Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Good morning and welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morse. I'm filling in for Chris Jones and I'm happy to be with you. I'm super nervous though. This is at least my third time recording the podcast, (laughs) so please uh, be patient with me and forgiving as I'll probably mess up a lot of words, but I'm determined to just run through this recording and get it done, (laughs) so uh, let's jump into it. Uh, Chris, usually at the beginning of every podcast, we'll do kind of a recap. I'd like to do the same, and then we will read our scripture for today, and then... um, dig into it a little bit, figure out what it has to say, not just for that time period, but what it has for us as Christians living in the world that we're living in. So uh, a quick recap, if you go all the way back to chapter 1, starting in verse 1, you get this great salutation from Paul, great opening to his letter, where he is going to fill the reader in on, or listener, on who he is, who he considers his master to be, and the calling that he has received from this master. He's going to follow that up with some Old Testament scripture, uh, really dealing with the, the concept of living by faith. In verse 16, he's going to announce really the theme message, the thesis for his letter. In verse 18, he is going to be addressing those who are unrighteous. And what is it that leads to unrighteousness? It is when we displace God in his proper position in our lives. When people begin to assume the form and position and authority of the Creator, uh, it leads to a rejection of self. It leads to a rejection of who you truly are and were truly made to be. And that is fully uh, addressed uh, in chapter 1 and verse 18, really all the way through the end of that chapter. What does ungodliness, unrighteousness look like? And uh, if you're a Jew, you're reading that and you're pumped up that God's calling out all the sinners and all the evil people. And even going into chapter 2, you think that God is, or Paul, God through Paul, is just railing on uh, these sinful Gentiles. When in chapter 2, Paul has actually made the swift, uh, coy transition into now speaking to the Jews specifically. That's not really going to come into uh, obvious effect until chapter 2 and verse 17, where he names them as being Jews, but verses 1 through 17 of chapter 2, he is speaking directly to the to the Jewish community there and saying, look, you're looking around at all of the Gentiles and these people that you deem unrighteous, but you are participating in the same thing. Don't you realize, as you get into verses 5 and 6, that God shows no partiality. It doesn't matter who you are or where you came from or what tribe, uh, who you consider an ancestor. None of those things matter. And in chapter, verse 12 of chapter 2, he's getting into an explanation of what God's impartiality really looks like. Okay, so maybe that is an appropriate enough recap. Let's get into our scripture for today. Starting in verse 12 of chapter 2. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, 
even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. This is uh, undoubtedly a controversial set of scriptures, and maybe you've read those before and never really knew that they are controversial, but they are. There is a pretty decisive split um, between interpretations, and we'll get into why that is. I think the first thing we need to do is probably situate this section of verses in context. Where and why do these uh, verses fit in where they do? So I guess the first question is, uh, are they connected to the previous verses, or are they more connected to the verses that will come after? Or are they more of a transistory set of verses? And I believe it's that latter option. They definitely tie in to verses 5 through five through 11, where Paul is trying to defend God's impartial law. He is kind of building on this case that God shows no partiality when it comes to judgment. Um, he's He loves everyone, but he's also going to judge everyone. And he's kind of giving the, or starting to get into the, uh, what that leveling playing field really looks like, what people will actually be judged by, uh, rather than what you think you're going to be judged by. But they also tie in uh, to the verses that follow, specifically verses 17 all the way through verse 29, where Paul is going to attempt to convey to the Jews uh, that they have no refuge from judgment uh, just because of who their ancestors are, uh, that just because they came from a certain group of people that God's not going to judge them. This is something that Chris also brought up last week with, you know, why is that phrase, first the Jews and the Greeks used? Uh, Again, if you haven't listened to that episode, it really sets this one up nicely, so you should probably go back and listen to it again. But anyway, that's probably where we could fit it, right in between these two sections of verses, 5 through 11 and 17 through 29, and it works as a perfect transistory uh, pericope. Pericope, again, just being a, a set of verses. So, what is actually being said in these verses? Um, starts off by saying, "All who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law." This is simply as denoted by the um, conjunction "for" at the beginning. Uh, Paul is is digging into a little bit what the no partiality actually looks like. Hey, just because you're a Jew and you li- have lived under the law. Uh, doesn't mean you're not going to be judged by it. And just because you lived without the law doesn't mean you can also 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 perish. In effect, saying just because you have the law uh, doesn't mean you are in necessarily a better position. All will be judged not according to what they have heard, not according to what they know, but the doers of the law, not just the hearers. Um, that's verse 13, and that kind of acts as, as the big point of this passage here. It's the people who actually obey the law, whether they have heard it or not, whether they have it in their hands or not. People who obey God's law will be saved. Verse 14, uh, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Verse 15, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Verses 14 through 15 
is, uh, and maybe even 13 too, is where the big um, differentiation interpretations are going to come in. And it really all centers around inclusivism or exclusivism. And this is your reading of, well, can people who simply do as uh, God commands but have never heard or obeyed the gospel, will they be saved? Um, In youth ministry, this is always termed as, hey, the people who live off on this remote island or are part of this uh, remote village, those people that have never heard the gospel, will they be saved? This is what a section of scripture that a lot of people will go to to either uh, defend or accuse those types of people. Um, I'm not going to really take a side here. Uh, I'm going to offer up a couple of interpretations and let you, through your study of scripture, uh, figure out where you think God's will actually plays its part. Um, So the first maybe interpretation of this would be that the Gentiles being referred to here in verses 14 through 15 are people who are doing the works of God but uh, do not have a faith in God. And so those people will actually be saved because they have simply done what is what is good. Um, probably the most notable person to um, you know lead this train of thought would be Chrysostom, uh, early Christian guy, uh, and not too many after him uh, take that position. But it is still one that I would say a minority of scholars follow. And if you don't know much about it, uh, read into it. It, Nowadays, you're going to find it under the term inclusivism. There is kind of a um, median viewpoint, or maybe not even median. This is probably on the other side of the spectrum, actually. Sorry. Uh, And this is the one that's um, supported by Calvin. And it's that uh, Gentiles doing some works of the law maybe uh, you know, by nature, they're obeying their mom and dads. They are obedient to civil authority, but they do they are not saved because they do not have faith in Jesus. Um, and that fits in with Calvinism. And that would probably be uh, the far side of it. And if you wanted to know more about that, you could naturally read John Calvin's uh, theology, or you could look up um, more arguments under the, the umbrella term of exclusivism. There is a third option, and maybe it is the more median, but it is definitely the the far less accepted view. Normally, you're going to go with either Christostom or Calvin, uh, but Augustine had a view as well that this is actually just speaking about Gentile Christians who really did have a working faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, the only problem with that is that doesn't really seem to fit in with what Paul is talking about here in context, especially where he's coming from. Uh, in chapter 2 and where he's going in the later part of uh, chapter 2. Um, so what do we what do we do with this? Where is this leading us? Uh, well, a couple of, of scriptures to just think about in your study of it all. Um, I think one that I think should always be thought about when studying this is going to be James chapter 2, uh, when in the book of James he says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. So it's not possible, if we're talking about Old Testament Mosaic law, to just keep a portion of it and everything be A-OK. There is some, um, you know, arguments, great arguments that can be made for both sides, for inclusivism. Um, It would be more of the argument that, uh, you know, I guess we'd have to appeal more to God's love and God's mercy and that he desires everyone to be saved. 
that maybe not necessarily they would actually have to hear the gospel message. Uh, people on the exclusivism side will say, well, that just doesn't count because of what Romans chapter 10 will go on to say, that salvation ultimately comes through hearing the gospel. And without people to um, spread the gospel, that people can't hear it and therefore can't be saved. Well, whatever side of the issue you come down on, um, I think both sides have to agree that our position as evangelists uh, can never rest. Uh, We are held to the law of Jesus uh, to spread the gospel wherever we go, uh, to the far reaches of the earth. And maybe that should be some of our motivation. If you are someone who stands in within the idea of exclusivism, uh, and you know that those people who do not hear the word of God do not have the opportunity to be saved, you should be trying that much more eagerly and uh, with all fervor to make sure that people hear the gospel message. If you are on the other side of inclusivism, I don't think that should keep you either. Because even within the, uh, the, the belief of inclusivism, you're going to say that person is still held by uh, the law of works to some degree. And wow, how much more uh, better of a life could they live if they could live under this law of grace having heard the gospel message? So hopefully that kind of ties up some, uh, some loose ends of theology that can, can come through these verses. I think one last point to maybe bring up is this last verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 16. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Uh, That's not exactly uh, what the Greek says. Uh, The Greek would say, and I'm just going to say it in in as plain English as I can, uh, in that day God judges uh, the secrets of man according to my gospel through Jesus Christ. And according to commentators, that's kind of the view or the reading that they like to take as well. It is uh, This is one commentator, uh, how he put it. It is through Christ Jesus that God will judge, as my gospel teaches. So I know that verse can kind of sound jumbled up when you read it straight like that. But according to this scholar and a little more closer to the Greek, maybe that makes more sense. It is through Christ Jesus that God will judge, as my gospel teaches. I hope this has been beneficial. I hope I didn't mumble or jumble up anything and you were able to get uh, um, some good teaching from this. Uh, And all things know that, you know, if I was able to say something good and profitable, that that was from God. If for some reason you didn't get the message and it was messed up, that's because it's coming through me, a, a fallible human individual. So if in all things we give glory to God, I ask that you continue to to tune into this because I think Chris is doing a lot of good stuff through it. Uh, Hope you have a good day. Uh, Look for ways to serve and love your neighbor. Peace and love.